Welcome back to another episode of Fantastic Voyage, the David Bowie podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm John. Today we are talking about the 1983 film, The Hunger. And I should get this out of the way uh, right away that this is a spoiler episode. So if you haven't seen The Hunger, uh, 1983, Tony Scott's first film, um, go and see it because we are going to spoil pretty much everything in the movie. Uh, today, to discuss The Hunger, which is a horror movie, we brought in a very special guest from the Evolution of Horror podcast, Mike Munzer. Thanks for joining us, Mike. How are you doing? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? We're doing good. Doing great. Yeah. Excited good. to have you. Very excited to have you. Uh, for our listeners, could you maybe just give us uh, a little tidbit about yourself and, and your podcast, Evolution of Horror? Yeah, sure. So I am a uh, I'm a producer and film journalist and podcaster in London. Um, I produce and host the Evolution of Horror podcast, which is a sort of it's a sort of movie history podcast, I guess. Obviously, it focuses on the horror genre, and we look at the whole genre from its origins through to the present day. So we'll go back and we'll cover, you know, everything from like the old Universal movies of the 30s or even go beyond that to sort of early silent movies and work our way through to the present day. But we do it in sort of particular subgenres. So we'll look at just the slasher movie from its early origins through to now. And then we'll look at ghost movies. And then currently, funnily enough, we're doing vampire movies. Um, so it's me joined by a different guest every week and we look at a particular horror movie and its sort of place in horror history i suppose um yeah great fun basically i just get to chat about horror movies with with cool people every week it's awesome i i absolutely i fell in love with your podcast last i guess it was fall i was looking for a horror podcast to watch and the slasher ones which we're both huge fans of uh, that was a lot of fun hearing you talk oh, about those yeah thank you so much yeah the yeah. slasher movies are so much fun to to watch and also to talk about because there is actually a surprising amount of interesting ground to cover with those movies you know totally yeah so we before we get into the movie we're talking about today uh, i was curious about your history with david bowie uh, living in the uk i imagine you had a lot of exposure to him you know growing up so like do you have any favorite bowie albums any favorite bowie songs like is he a big deal to you in terms of your musical interests yeah i think so i mean like yeah you're right i feel like i i can't even remember how like at what point in my life I sort of discovered David Bowie. I think it was probably always there for me because of my parents listening to him. So it would have been kind of there from ground zero, along with bands like the Beatles. I think David Bowie played in my house all the time. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I, and, and I always like, will pop on a bit of David Bowie on Spotify on a playlist and that kind of thing. I, I love his music. I think if I had, a favorite album it would maybe be hunky dory or one of those kind of like i like the sort of chilled sort of piano vibe to that album yeah. you know but but i kind of love everything really and you know the tracks on that album like oh you pretty things and changes and of course life on mars are some of my favorites probably but i also went through a phase as a teenager when i loved um some of his kind of weirder 90s stuff like i'm deranged and songs from the outside oh, album. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and i think that was partly because of my, i became obsessed with david lynch the filmmaker and there's a kind of david lynch connection there there's a sort of david lynchy vibe obviously i'm deranged was used in the opening credits of lost highway in 1997 right. i think i fell in love with lost highway the film and then kind of tracked down some of that 
slightly weirder less mainstream bowie music from that as well so i went through a phase of really enjoying that kind of stuff but yeah i would say i definitely kind of grew up on the classics you know ziggy stardust and all of that kind of stuff but yeah i've i've always been a fan speaking of bowie and lynch uh yes or no to bowie's american accent in (laughs) firewalk with me do you know what i and as a as a british person it probably bothers me less than it does for americans you know um I, i don't mind it too much and i think again the film is so weird and the performance styles are so weird that David Bowie doing something a bit weird in that movie doesn't really bother me too much. I I, I adore that movie. And that yeah. scene with David Bowie is one of my favorite moments in that film as well. So yeah, I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not Bowie's first venture into horror. He was, he started, well, he was one of two people in a very short film uh, called The Image in 1969. Uh, Michael Armstrong directed that uh, about a year before he did uh, Mark of the Devil, which was mm. that was, I think, the one where they said this is the scariest movie ever made. And they handed out puke bags in the theaters and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, so this uh, I mean, this is the first feature film of him in horror. And it's really the only horror, you know, f- full length movie that he did. I guess Labyrinth could be somewhat considered horror, right? I guess. Yeah, <laughs> sure. David Bowie yeah. in David Bowie in Labyrinth used to scare me as a child to be fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe unconventional horror. <laughs> yeah. Some of his music videos in the 90s could be horror movies like uh was it The Heart's Filthy Lesson? Oh yeah. That's definitely. from the Outside album too. Yeah, that's a scary mm. scary video. Yeah, mm. we're we're really looking forward to covering uh The Outside album that will be coming up shortly. Um but yeah, let's get into the hunger. Um, Mike, on your show, you like to get your guests to give a little plot synopsis at the beginning. Could yes. you uh, could you do the honors for for 1983's The Hunger? <laughs> now, the reason I get other people to do this is because I'm pretty bad at it myself, but I'll give it a go. So The Hunger, yeah. So this is a 1983 movie. Like you said, it's Tony Scott directed it. And it's really, in some ways, the plot is kind of simple, really. And it, it relies more on that vibe, those tony scott visuals and its soundtrack but basically it's the story of a kind of love triangle of vampires i suppose so at the beginning of the film we meet Catherine deneuve and david bowie they they play this kind of vampire couple and they seem to live this quite glamorous affluent life they're very cool they're musicians they're in love but then something strange starts to happen to david bowie's character in the first act he starts to suddenly age very very rapidly and you know vampires aren't really supposed to age but in the world of this movie, vampires eventually do age and then that's it. They kind of like, they turn into these kind of horrible kind of skeletal looking creatures, but they never die. And that's what happens to David Bowie. He suddenly rapidly starts to age and Catherine Deneuve is just kind of like, well, I'll pop you up in the attic with the rest of my ex-boyfriends then (laughs) um, who are all still alive and these kind of like hideous rotting vampire skeletons. And he gets like popped in the attic and and David Bowie's character is kind of gone by the halfway point. And then it becomes a kind of lesbian vampire story when Catherine Deneuve's character meets this character played by Susan Sarandon and they sort of develop a love story as well. And that's really it. Like, it's just kind of like, one vampire relationship and then moves into another vampire relationship really um it's more a film that kind of relies on its vibe and and its tone and that kind of thing totally well that was really well done that was that's yeah. better than any synopsis we've done for his movie episode <laughs> yeah. so far. and I'm, I'm very much a person who enjoys films that are atmospheric or that are carried by vibes and i think that's interesting yeah. because uh the man who fell to earth was kind of bowie's first breakthrough movie right and that of course was 
that, you know, David Bowie's in that. And it's a, uh, it's no surprise that he, he works in this movie then too, right? Because it's another mm. movie that's just, you know, very style over substance, I guess is another way of putting it. Yeah. And this is another movie where kind of style is, it plays a way more integral role than the plot. I think yeah. style is substance. I, like we talked well, about yeah, earlier, that, like, yeah. yeah, like style. I mean, maybe not technically, but like, I would, ra- I, I prefer those kind of, kind of movies. You know, the plot being secondary. Yeah. Well, it, it relies on the theme a lot, this movie too. Like it doesn't really rely on like your typical vampire tropes, right? It's a movie that's concerned about immortality. And, and one thing that keeps like my sanity intact is, you know, when thinking about my inevitable death is that dying is like infinitely better than living forever, right? Because if you live yes. forever, you will get so incredibly bored and you'll get lonely. Like the, the cons of an immortal life, like heavily outweigh the pros. You know what yeah. I would love to see? I would love to see art progress hundreds of years after my time. And I, I'm sure everybody does. Uh, Mike is obviously interested in the evolution of horror. Like we'd like to see these things for the next 10,000 years, but at what cost, right? Totally. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I, I've been looking on my podcast at the, the history of the vampire movies. And yeah, I think that that's a really interesting element that starts to come into play around this time, around the 80s, where vampire movies stop being just these kind of scary traditional monsters, you know, Dracula and Hammer Horror and that kind of thing was starting to die out. And in the 80s, we got these interesting new spins of vampire movies. You know, later we'd get The Lost Boys and Near Dark. Then we'd get interview with the vampire. And it was more about the kind of almost sympathizing with the vampires as being these kind of poor sort of emo creatures that live forever. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and the, and the kind of the problems that arise with that, right? The kind of, yeah, the sort of monotony of, of living eternal life. And yeah, I think that is definitely part of this movie. And you're right about the style. I think the style is sort of the substance when it comes to this film, because it is about the superficiality of looking young and beautiful and then what happens when that dies away too. So I think the look and vibe and style and beauty of this film is kind of tied into this life that Catherine Deneuve lives um, and the way in which she sort of discards all of her partners that lose their looks eventually, you know? Well, that's another reason why I'm really glad that they use David Bowie for this movie is because seeing him decay of all people, <laughs> it's all the more striking because he's a guy that's never looked bad in his, in his life, but this movie does the yeah. unimaginable and it strips that away. And he turns into like this living corpse who's just walking around. And like you said, you sympathize with him. He's going, no, please kill me, please kill me. And it's seeing David Bowie of all people in that light is just like, wow, it, it really uh, shines a light on the, the point that they're trying to hammer home about immortality. Yeah, you're right. He's somebody who I think, especially at the time, right? It's people just probably didn't even consider David Bowie ever aging or dying. You know, he feels like this guy that just should look eternally young and beautiful and unusual and all of that kind of thing. So he was a great choice for a film like this, I think. Yeah, he was at the top of the world at that point, too. He had just, you know, launched his huge world tour. Well, I guess that came right after this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's he's coming off the, you know, Let's Dance. And he, you know, his highest selling album of all time, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. what a contrast in this movie. Um, speaking of him decaying, how about the makeup? I thought it looked excellent. Um, and it was, I, can't, I think the person who did it, I can't remember the name, but it was, was it this person who did For the Godfather? Yeah, it's Dick Smith. Um, Dick Smith, so okay. Dick Smith is a fantastic, yeah, makeup artist. He um, he had done the Godfather films, like you said. Uh, obviously, as a horror fan, I'm I love 
the exorcist he he was the one that did you know all of that amazing makeup oh, okay and wow all oh, of no those way. effects on the exorcist were him um and uh, later on movies like uh, death becomes her as well these movies really oh, that's for their yeah. kind of crazy makeup effects so yeah he was like a magician with what he could do and yeah i think that the effects for the most part, still look amazing in this, don't they? As we see David Bowie start to rapidly age, I think it looks incredible still. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about uh, the, or we were mentioning the, uh, you know, kind of the vampire tropes are gone in this movie. It's interesting when you, you know, there aren't anything, like nothing's introduced, like these are the rules. There's kind of assumed knowledge in vampire horror, like altogether. There's no r- mm. real you know, these are the standard, like, you know, whatever Bram Stoker said goes. Yeah. It's interesting how that kind of changes in this way. You just kind of assume, okay, blood can't mix. That's got to be bad. And, you know, they can't stay in the daylight. But in this one, they can. Like, he's walking around yeah. in broad daylight, mm-hmm. isn't he? Yeah, it kind of, yeah, that's the other thing about the vampire genre is that different filmmakers kind of make up their own rules for the vampires almost. And you're right. I think by this point, you know, Dracula was such a huge thing. We had so many vampire movies throughout the kind of thirties, forties, fifties, sixties audiences would know what a vampire is. So I don't think there's even a single mention of the word vampire in the hunger. I don't think they ever actually mentioned the word vampire. They don't have fangs. Like it doesn't have a traditional kind of vampire uh, sort of trope in that regard um, with the portrayal of these characters. But I think, yeah, you just kind of assume knowledge. By the 1980s, everyone knew the deal with vampires. So I think they could have a bit of fun with it in that regard, you know, and you can kind of have a little play around and subvert some of those tropes, I suppose. Um, Yeah, which this film did so well. Well, like the weapon of choice, right? It's like you said, it's not the fangs. It's like they use some sort of uh, like a little knife. It's like a something. symbol of life. I can't remember what it was, but it's something very symbolic, right? And they use that as their weapon, which is very yeah. interesting. I think it's something that represents immortal life or something like that. But yeah, so it's just cool to kind of see them play around with. Yeah, they don't have to be in the dark. They don't have to use their fangs. They just kind of, it was just a, a free-for-all. And I think that's that's very interesting because that's a common critique of, you know, horror movies or vampire movies is, oh, they might rely on tropes. This one just... Does it, yeah, they just do whatever they want. I think that's uh, it's a very yeah. good strategy. I think it works. And by doing that, it opens up this, what is the storyline of this movie where, you know, he's not going to live forever. He just all of a sudden mm. it starts to age. And that's usually the one thing you don't associate with vampires is, <laughs> is aging, right? So yeah, was, it's Miriam, right? Was, was Miriam behind that? Or was he, did he just kind of, it was his time because they had just feasted, had they not? And then he starts to, yeah i'm not really sure if she was behind it she didn't seem too bothered by it i know (laughs) it it, it's not in ever overtly kind of explained i think why all of a sudden why is now the time because he's been around for i think a few hundred years when we you know are introduced to him why is it suddenly now that he starts to age and i think yeah i think there is an interpretation you could make that in some way miriam is controlling this that like when she gets bored of certain (laughs) lovers or she meets someone new or whatever, these people suddenly start to just sort of wither away. Because um, she's, yeah. it coincides when she meets Susan Sarandon's character, right? When David yeah. kind of starts to finally decay. It's that she sees him on TV or something yeah. talking about her, whatever project she was working on. So that would totally make sense. And there's and also, it, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and it's, and it's, it's, it's a scary thing, right? You know, like what's worse than living forever as a vampire and staying the same age? Probably you know growing really old and then living forever like that's like the ultimate <laughs> right. worst nightmare isn't it i think yeah. well, it's, it's a terrible ending it's a terrible mm. thing and yeah this has happened before like this isn't the first time that she's gone through this there's a big stack of 
like you said, there's ex-boyfriends in the attic. Like that's a very uncomfortable <laughs> thought too. There's like, yeah, like a couple dozen of them and they're just laying there, you know, like with and they're still decaying. Like they're there yeah. for another, you know, few for for literally for forever until I guess the end of the movie. But you know, that's a, a horrifying thought. That's sort of like a black mirror or a Twilight Zone episode. You know, that's like a that's your your worst thought possible. It's the worst thing that could happen to anybody. It's really Being locked yeah. away in a coffin for the rest of your life and somehow still managing to decay over time. It's just horrible. Well, it's, it's a check in the box for cremation, isn't it? <laughs> yes. it yeah, is. it really is. Yeah, yeah. And you never really know what it is that kills a vampire. Like, yeah, if they burnt them, if they set them on fire, if they beheaded them, I wonder if that would kill them. But we don't see that happen. Yeah, instead, we just see them suffer this horrible fate worse than death. Yeah, it's really great. There's, there's no stake being driven into the heart. But did you guys notice there's a cut scene right after... I think it's after Susan Sarandon's character gets turned, they cut to a steak on a dinner table. Right. It's getting cut. It's like, and it was kind of, I I thought that that was like, you know, a nod to the, all all the old tropes that they're not using in this movie. Well, didn't she like order it rarer than she normally does? Cause like the husband or the boyfriend or whatever kind of goes like, Oh wait, you you ordered it rare. Cause like there's blood. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I always wonder if it's a deliberate kind of choice or a kind of fun wink almost that the film opens with a performance of the Bauhaus song, Bella Lugosi is dead, right? Yeah. Bella yeah. Lugosi famous for playing Dracula. Like he was the Dracula throughout the 1930s and forties. Um, almost again, this idea of like, we're entering a new age of vampires. You know, this is not, this is going to be a film that kind of plays around with the vampire tropes, maybe the kind of classic ones and does something new with them. And it, I don't know, it kind of feels like starting it with that very kind of eighties montage version of Bella Lugosi is dead kind of felt almost deliberate in that regard, you know? And, and that's one of the, that might be the highlight of the movie, just that opening mm. scene and like their victims who they, they lure back or no, I guess they go to, to the victim's house, I think but they almost seem like they could be villains. So they're too cool to be victims. Like they look cool in that nightclub. Well, it's a great goth. Like that was the perfect choice getting Peter Murphy to do, do the intro. And I think it set mm. the stage very well. I mean, it's kind of this idea now of vampires as being cool. Like you're not afraid of them. You know, you're kind of like, Oh, I want to be him. Like, you know, Bowie's character looks cool. They, they look very, very cool. They got the aviators, the cool jackets. Yeah. So yeah, the, that intro scene sets a very cool gothic eighties vibe. You know, the eighties get a bad rap in music. But, you know, gothic, I think, is that's a very cool kind of subgenre that started in the 80s. And I think this movie kind of highlights all the, the right things about the 1980s in terms of music. They, and there's a great Iggy Pop scene, too. They're listening to Fun Time on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that, that guy's like skateboarding or something, listening to Fun Time by Iggy Pop. And Bowie pathetically yeah. tries to stab him and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And yeah, you're right. You know, this is totally the, the era when vampires became cool, like aspirational almost. Like like we said, you know, you get the Lost Boys and, you know, right. uh, Near Dark a few years later and those kind of movies where suddenly vampirism was cool and sexy, you know, um, as opposed to just scary. Yeah, it's not your mom and dad's Dracula anymore. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> speaking speaking of Bela Lugosi being dead, I, I love the story of him dying in the middle of Plan 9 for Outer Space being made. Yeah. And Ed Wood just kind of, or it, maybe it was a different movie that he was going to use that footage for. And he kind of just you recycled what little footage he had of Bela Lugosi and had his replacement like cover his face every time he came on screen. <laughs> yeah, so oh, good. Plan so Nine good. from Outer Space. What a what a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the worst. Well, I think it's infamously like the worst movie of all time. I love it. I've seen it like twice. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll have to see because anytime something gets a title like that, like worst of all time, it, it usually means that it's at least funny or something, right? You have to you have to see those things that get called the worst of all time, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So speaking of, does this movie get rated? Like, I'm not. I didn't check any reviews. Like, is this a movie that? Like, has it been like critically reappraised or was it appraised at the time? Or like, I, I have no idea what this movie was like. I, th- I think it wasn't particularly great at the time in terms of its reaction, critical reaction. Um, I think people were pretty kind of snooty about it. And I think Tony Scott famously sort of said after making The Hunger, he kind of stopped reading reviews for his films because he got quite a lot of bad reviews. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't think it did particularly well. And I think it's definitely been a movie that's sort of slowly kind of grown over time. And I, I would say that in a way about a lot of Tony Scott's filmography. I don't think people necessarily took Tony Scott particularly seriously for a lot of his films, like uh, for a lot of his career, you know, I'm, in comparison to Ridley Scott, maybe, I feel like Tony Scott was kind yeah. of thought of as the one that was slightly more superficial, you know, like music video visuals and style over substance. But actually, when you go back and look at, he, he, was, a, he was a brilliant filmmaker, actually. And I think, you know, a lot of his movies now are sort of being reappraised in that way. Well, True Romance is one of my favorite movies, like of all time, probably. Yeah. I guess th- this is another benefit of having David Bowie in your movie is that David Bowie is somebody who's going to stay relevant, you know, in popular culture for, I mean, well past, you know, our time, it'll be, you know, possibly centuries. So this is the movie that will, you know, always, people will always go back. I mean, the only reason I'm watching it is because I'm a David Bowie fan, right? So mm-hmm. there, yeah. there, there, there will always be people that'll be returning to it when they normally wouldn't be. If it was not David Bowie, I'm sure you know, well, we wouldn't be doing this right now. So, right. It's like bad James Bond movies or bad Elvis movies. You rewatch them or bad Halloween movies. You rewatch it because it's part of something bigger. Right. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I think also maybe there was a little bit of just like slightly more conservative kind of viewpoints that, you know, this is a movie that was a pretty erotic movie as well. It has that very famous quite prolonged lesbian sex scene in it as well that again i think people just wrote it off as being kind of smut and and nothing else really you know and again that this is a really interesting kind of uh a follow-on from the sort of vampire movies we got in the 70s because in the 70s there was a huge wave in europe of lesbian vampire movies it was like a genre in itself right of just like naked lesbians sleeping with each other and biting each other and they were made for kind of titillation and that kind of thing but some of them were really really good but they were all kind of dismissed and this movie again it kind of it's taking tropes of the lesbian vampire kind of erotic vampire movies but then making it kind of goth and cool at the same time you know well in the 80s was an interesting time for horror too i feel like like 83 that would have been kind of in the midst of like the slasher sequel boom right where you get you know a friday the 13th movie every week and and, and nightmare on elm street i guess was yet to come but there was still you know a lot of other like i think jaws two or three came out the same year yeah yeah, i mean horror was definitely being skewed younger in the 80s as well i think that was a result of the teen slasher movie so yeah you had halloween in 1978 and that boom of slasher movies and sequels that came in the early 80s and i think suddenly everything you see it everything in the 80s suddenly starts being aimed more at a teenage audience so again vampire movies move from these kind of like you know hammer these slightly more traditional type of movies to teen films again the lost boys fright night that kind of thing um and that very much coincides with all the teen slasher movies we were getting and i'm sure this movie you know putting david bowie in your cast is a great way to kind of aim it at a kind of younger crowd at the time you know Mm -hmm. yeah definitely so what about Bowie in this movie? We haven't really talked about him. We've talked about his character. How is he? Like, is, is his acting good? I feel like he, 
like because it's a movie that does focus on style i mean i think that's just the best part of his just anything in general for him in this movie is just how he looks um and i i feel like he just kind of has to act naturally you know and i think he does a great job of it just appearing cool i think is him doing his part i haven't really thought about his actual acting though if it was like up to par but I didn't have any problems with it. I like his vulnerability kind of in that the shower scene right after they kill those, that couple at the beginning, he's kind of in the shower with Catherine Deneuve and there, he says something like, Oh, we'll be doing this forever or something or forever and always. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, ironically, it's like, maybe that was what triggered it. That maybe that's what triggered his death. He started to worry about it. And because like right after that, it goes downhill fast. Yeah. 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 I think he's great as well. I mean, like, again, I think, yeah, maybe he, it's not the most challenging of acting roles in this particular film. Right. But I think he does a good job. Again, it's, 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 he just oozes style. Right. And, and the way he looks, I mean, again, I suppose he's always had that slightly, there's, there's something, there's something kind of sort of sexually fluid about David Bowie. Right. And I think there is obviously to that in this movie with this kind of love triangle and lesbians and everything else. And I think it all kind of, it's definitely a part of the vampire subgenre. So his look and his vibe and his style of performance really works in that regard as well, that there is this kind of fluidity to him. Um, And yeah, I I really enjoy his kind of vulnerability and his, um, his kind of despair as he starts to get older as well, you know? The movie goes really fast too, right? There isn't an awful lot of dialogue. Like things kind of get rolling really quickly too, right? Like, Mm. yeah, they've killed somebody like instantly. He starts aging instantly. He's, She's found someone new instantly. Actually, also, there's the the little girl too. I forget her name, but it's almost like she was being like groomed, groomed for to the for the next lover. See, I think that is why Bowie starts yeah. decaying. Yeah, because she's already kind of moving on. Yeah, she's already picked that girl to be the next one. Well, and she seems almost more upset that because he he ends up killing her trying to get like a feed in at the last you know the last hour. Yeah. And, yeah. and Catherine Deneuve is almost more upset that he's, what have you done? Like she, when he kills yeah. her, than the fact that he's dying too. Yeah. And he's very feeble. He had to really, really dupe her to kill her. Cause yeah, it was, I think that was right after he tried to kill the random guy dancing to Iggy pop. Right. He couldn't kill that guy. So he went and prayed on the little, he went and tricked the little girl. Mm-hmm. And that scene in the shower with Erno in the bathroom where he's, he's looking at the young guy next to him and it's interesting because it's bowie and he's looking going like oh i i want you i want to look like you again i want to look young I once again i think that's why bowie was such a great uh, person for this role because he would just never do that in real life right but they found a way to to turn him into that type of a person totally yeah and and again i don't know whether this was um deliberate on the part of like the writers and, and makers of this film but obviously it sort of coincides too with the beginning of the AIDS crisis and this feel this there is something kind of viral about the vampirism in this this idea of kind of blood passing on and it mm-hmm. happens after characters have sex and then this sudden transformation that David Bowie goes through and you, you'll see in the horror genre throughout the 80s that there are movies that kind of you know, use horror metaphors to explore the kind of AIDS epidemic, like David Cronenberg's The Fly with what happens to Jeff Goldblum. That was like famously kind of, um, you know, partly kind of inspired by that. Um, And yeah, I mean, I wonder whether there is anything to that with this as well, because again, there is that vampirism is closely linked with that kind of thing of kind of like, you know, lots of sexual partners of exchanging bodily fluids. And then this, this terrifying thing happening to David Bowie and him, 
you know becoming hollowed out and aged as well very very quickly in the movie you know i think there's something again like especially in hindsight looking at it in in that through that lens you know and then when susan sarandon um sleeps with Catherine deneuve it's almost she's like does she say like well what what have you done to me right because she didn't like there was no agreement that i was to become a a vampire right Mm, yeah so that's kind of yeah i feel like there is kind of a link there definitely yeah yeah because she kind of just forces her will on everybody i'm sure that that little girl that they that bowie kills she would have been another one right it's like all these people are subjected to her she's very selfish uh but what's her uh catherine catherine's character like she's very miriam i think miriam yeah. yeah 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 definitely and it's it was kind of funny how what does she say? Are you making a pass at me? And then she like gets a nosebleed or something. And next thing you know, it their clothes are off and they're in. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like it does move very fast. Like even uh, once she gets that thing wrong with her, right? Susan Sarandon's character has that problem. It's like, oh, you have a pro. You know, you're acting weird. Let's check your blood. Okay, yeah, you've got an inhuman blood, and you, you know, like it kind of does move very, very fast. This movie. Sometimes it's almost absurd as to how fast it moves, but it, I don't think it's a movie that really bothered me with how fast it moved because I think that the the atmosphere and the style, you know, that more than makes up for the the quickness. Well, I, I love the atmosphere in that clinic or the hospital or whatever. Like in horror movies, they do a great job of making hospitals seem like this very isolated and dangerous place where like. Mm-hmm. If you've ever been to a hospital, like it's warm and there's people everywhere, but it's like this, it, you know, it's gloomy and it's, you know, a lot of, I guess it was like a lot of backlighting in this movie. Yeah. When, I, when, ma- I, when I picture this movie in my head, it's like everything is kind of coldly lit. It's like blue and there's lots of silhouettes and it's like, it's all that kind of vibe, isn't it? It's quite cold. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah, why, why are hospitals like this horrific place in movies? Like in the, I was watching the new Chucky series and the same <laughs> kind of thing, like they, they, you know, Don Mancini brought that into that, this new series too, of like this scary hospital, which is very much yeah. like Halloween too, yeah. where she's not very safe in that supposedly no. safe place, is she? That hospital is like a dungeon in Halloween too. It's absolutely, t- it's like, where are all the people? Yeah, yeah I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny you mentioned how dark the movie is too, because I don't think I even realized until after I watched the movie that, oh, that's right. They weren't really outside in the light at all. The vampires were, were at, they were in the light, but it, it didn't really occur to me at any point no. during the movie because it is, everything is so dimly lit and everything is so kind of black and blue. And mm. so, yeah, like I, you know, I, I remember like after the movie going, oh yeah, they, they, were, they were roaming around like typical people, not vampires, but I didn't actually notice it during the movie. It never stuck out to me like, oh, that's wrong. Right. So because that kills a lot of Dracula. I get that. That's the one that killed Christopher Lee. He gets incinerated in the in the sun, right? Yeah, and yeah. Then, that's how most of them die, to be honest. It's you know, right. exposed to the sunlight. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the night. What was the one in nineteen? Was it nineteen seventy eight or seventy nine? There was another Dracula movie that I kind of like, and that's the one where I think he's on a boat at the end and he gets. Yeah, Frank Langella. That's nineteen Frank Langella. Yeah, yeah. I really like the way that that one looked too. That one was very gothic and kind of like the look of this one, the way it was shot kind of reminds me of that movie. You can tell it's made, well, maybe not the same decade, but like, you know, three or four four years apart. Yeah. And there's, there's almost something of a bit of uh, like German expressionism to the hunger as well. Like a kind of, because it's so 
blue and black it almost looks black and white sometimes in its color palette you know and it, it reminds mm-hmm. me a bit of like a Nosferatu or something where it's like it's lots of shadows and silhouettes and curtains and you know that kind of thing again it kind of Tony Scott is so good at visuals but I think it kind of evokes all of that as well you know yeah we and that German expressionism is like it's Bowie's forte yeah it's like one of the main right. themes in his in his music especially in the 70s and That's we've talked about We've talked about the cabinet of Dr. Caligari like uh, almost every episode. You've referenced, right. You found a way to reference. I everything. find a way. Yeah, it's like on our bingo card. Like, oh, Jesse <laughs> talks about yeah <laughs> the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Check one oh. out. Well, there you go. Well, that's really interesting because, of course, yeah, Nosferatu. You know, basically the first ever vampire movie, and that was German expressionism. And you know, so I think there are some links there. And there's that great moment. That was the first time we saw a vampire be killed by sunlight. Is this? touches his chest and reaches up and disappears in the sunlight you know so yeah was there anything else mike that you wanted to touch on uh with with the hunger that we haven't got to yet no i don't think so i mean like i think what's what's really interesting about it especially talking about it you know in, in the david bowie context is that i think the film is at its best when it's like the first half of the hunger i think is the best stuff and actually i do think that for me the film slightly loses something after bowie's character dies you know i think the film is is really at its best and it's most stylish and it's most interesting you know like we talked about that amazing opening sequence that first like 10 minutes is incredible and then everything with the amazing makeup effects of david bowie aging that for me is all the most interesting stuff. And there's some there's some good moments with Catherine Deneuve and Susan Sarandon in the second half. But for me, it's like it's all about that first act with David Bowie's character. You know, it's so, so good. Yeah. And it's interesting how the movie ends, isn't it? Like, does I thought that what's her name? Susan Sarandon's character. I can't remember. But she like, does she kill herself? She kind of cuts her throat. And then yeah. bleeds out into Miriam's mouth or something. I don't know what happened, but then she's okay at the end. She's, you know, living. Yes. And I believe the final scene was added at the request of the studio. I think the ending was changed by the studio to kind of quickly oh. give it some closure. I think that there was going to be a more, you know, open ended kind of, you know, more ambiguous sort of style ending. And then the studio wanted a way to kind of like, wrap it up and I think Tony Scott was quite upset about that and so was Susan Sarandon as well but I think that that weird ending was kind of forced upon them by the studio as but yeah as much as I can recall yeah yeah so in 2022 is this a movie that you would recommend to somebody to fans of to horror fans yeah I would you know it's interesting I talked about this recently with with um a guest I had on the podcast Axel Carolyn and she was saying that when she was young in the 90s, this film was kind of thought of as very uncool because, you know, it, w- it had only been a decade. And so by that point, the 80s didn't seem that cool. And it kind of seemed a bit dated and passe. And, and now it's come back around, I think. Right. And there's something about yeah. this film that looks incredibly cool. Um, and yeah, I think it's now aged really, really well. I think that um, I would recommend this to everyone just for its style and vibes alone, you know. Yeah. Well, the 80s are cool again, right? And I, and I would so. I would totally recommend it just for the how they they focus on something that I think is so important that's the the loneliness and you know in, in an immortal life because I mean yeah they, they focus on the decaying too and obviously that would be horrible you know when you turn into the way David Bowie and all those vampires turn into that's a, a horrible thought you know mm. losing your beauty but it's like beyond that it's like even if you could live forever and you could keep your looks forever even if you know you 
your looks aged, you know, on a, on a relative curve to how long you're going to live, you're still going to suffer all that psychological trauma. You know, it's like, imagine you, know, you own several pet dogs in your life, right? They'll die on you every 10 to 15 years, maybe three times in your life. But like, imagine that times like 10,000 or times infinity, right? Like your children will die. Your lover will die. Your next lover will die. All your friends, your next friend, like that's an awful, a lot of pain. And so I think it really shines light on just how uh, foolish the, uh, I guess like the quest for, I think a lot of people like really would like to live forever. And I think this movie does a great job of showing how that's just literally the quite possibly the worst thing that could happen to, to anybody. <laughs> yes. Agreed. A hundred percent. Yep. Well, I saw something online the other day and it was like a question. Would you, one of those stupid things on Twitter, would you rather uh, win the lottery or double your lifespan? And I was thinking, you know, if you had to double your lifespan, you might, and you didn't have the money to do so. You'd still have to work for like a good portion of your life. You'd still have to oh, do all yeah. the mundane things <laughs> and you'd have to lose everybody and then possibly do it, lose everybody again. So like even doing it twice over, I, I'd, I'd take the money and then just use my, you know, use my time that I have. You'd almost have more time in your one life with the money. Well, yeah. It's, it's made- it's made me think again, too, because I often answer the question, would you like to live forever? I'm like, oh, well, no, but I'd like to live for a thousand years or 10,000 years. And I'm thinking maybe about not. it. It's like, no, maybe 80, 60, 70, 90. I think that's, that's, that's sounding, <laughs> pretty, it's sounding pretty good right about now, actually. So. I mean, the, be- the best deal would be like, I'd like to live until I've had enough, right? Until yeah. I can yeah. quit. So yeah. like, if I want to stay alive till I'm 100, great. If I find that I've had enough by 70, great. You know, like, leave it, let, right. let it be my choice, you know? <laughs> Having the option, the button to push, you know, that, yeah. that, would, be, that would be optimal, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but our, our, our current uh, set of circumstances is definitely... Pr- uh, preferable to that of those in the, in the, the vampires in this movie right so definitely yeah yeah <laughs> so before we go this is our chance to talk about horror i mean it's a huge passion of ours and this is kind of this is it for bowie uh mike what's your favorite scary movie if you had to pick one i know that's impossible oh man but... it's so hard i i have a i have about five or ten that i used to answer <laughs> but but if i was to pick the the movie that I think is the best made horror movie and the scariest movie ever made, it would be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. Um, I think that is a masterful, a terrifying movie. So much so that I actually haven't actually seen it that many times. There's, there were way more movies that I've seen more. Like if I picked the one that I would just put on the most and rewatch the most, it would probably be something like Scream from 1996. Yeah. That's probably the horror film I've seen more than any other. But I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the most masterfully made horror movie ever. Um, It is like from beginning to end, just pure terror. Like you just feel like you're watching some sort of snuff movie almost when actually the genius of it is, is that there's no gore. There's barely any blood. There's there's very little on screen violence. It's just the filmmaking is so good that you feel like you're watching the most harrowing thing imaginable. You know, I've never really thought about. Yeah, I've never really thought about that. There aren't. It's like not really gory at all the, is it? Di- the dinner seems the most terrifying thing i've, I've ever seen uh it's so with the, with the, my, my favorite actually i'm glad you mentioned the texas chainsaw massacre one of my favorite shirts i have is just well it's it's leather face but it's also it's got the grandpa <laughs> the, the grandpa is like my favorite looking character i think in a horror movie he's just kind of got he, he looks like a mannequin almost uh is he the one who has like the hammer and he's always yeah <laughs> it's like an, it, that film is like a nightmare that you just can't wake up from like and it just keeps going and going it's and even from the very beginning you know when it starts with that voice and it's like the film you are about to see like everything about yeah. it mm-hmm. makes my blood run cold you know i think it's just <laughs> like brilliant filmmaking yeah 
Yeah. Johnny, what's your favorite scary movie? If you had to pick one, I'm putting you on the spot. Ooh, that is a tough one. I, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is up there for me, too. And you made a very good point uh, or a good case for it. But I'm trying to think. I mean, like Scream was the one that we grew up on. That was my gateway right? to like, it. That was, it's yeah. definitely the one that I've watched the most. And I don't know if I would call it my favorite. Um, but I'm, I'm running out of, of ideas here. So I might just have to go go for it by default. I'll, I'm going to cheat and say I love the, the trilogy of George Romero zombie movies. Because yeah. they're all so good in different ways. Like the, I mean, Night of the Living Dead is just iconic. And then yeah. D- Dawn of the Dead kind of is a, you know, he's making fun of consumerism in a sense. It's happening, yeah. you know, it all happens in the mall. And then maybe the best is Day of the Dead, where, you know, you, that's where you start to hate the humans and cheer for the zombies. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that one. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, there are so many. I mean, obviously, The Shining is up there for me. I think it's just a masterpiece and it's terrifying. John Carpenter's The Thing is like perfect as well. There's a there. There are too many to count. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, Maybe let our listeners know where where they could find you or and anything else you have going on. I'm sure, you know, October for a horror uh, podcast is it's quite busy. It is. It's super busy. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, so you can find my podcast, The Evolution of Horror, wherever you find your podcast on any podcast app. Um, and yeah, best thing to do is just follow us on Twitter at Evolution Pod. And we're always posting about any other things going on, events or, you know, whatever else. Um, if you're in the UK, we do a lot of kind of public events and screenings in London. And we do like a monthly cult screening in, in London where we pick a classic horror movie and we'll watch it together with an audience and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of stuff going on like that through the month of October here. So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks. That sounds like a lot of fun. All right. So that's it for The Hunger, 1983, David Bowie uh, movie. He's in another movie in 1983, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, he filmed. And both debuted at the Cannes Film Festival, I think the same day, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe a day apart or something. So that's kind of neat. Very busy times for Mr. Bowie. Uh, so that'll be our next episode, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Uh, but for now, that's it. Signing out. I've been Jesse. I'm John. And thank you, Mike, for joining us once again. Thank you for having me.